Just going to have a seat. Good morning. It's great to be with you guys at Arbor. Thanks for the invitation, Jake. So um, Jake and I haven't known each other for super long, but like he said, we have a connection because they lost their daughter, Maggie, to brain cancer right, right around the same time. And I had heard of them beforehand and known of the Pray for Magnolia page and had prayed for Magnolia. And then when, right when, around the same time that I discovered I had a cancerous brain tumor, um, had a seizure, wound up in the hospital. It was the day that I think the very day after is when Maggie passed, and so it was kind of a strange moment. And then so we met at a pastor's lunch, and we had heard of each other but not met. And like, as Jake told last, last service, like we kind of made a beeline for each other at the end of this lunch, and we both had tears in our eyes and like hugged each other. And there was this sort of like fellowship of suffering, different stories, but, but similar in the sense of, yeah, the brevity of life. And so, yeah, we have different paths that we've walked, and uh, I just have just so much respect and honor for for Jake and for Davy, I think it's easy when your life is going well, say God is good and praise God. And, and certainly the psalmists do that. And we should look at the good things. There's so many good things. But then when you suffer and then, and then you ha- suffer and experience so much loss and when someone like Jake and Davy say God is good and you see their faith and there's something compelling about that. And I think that God's hand is upon them and upon this church. And so I'm grateful to be able to be here in a church that loves Jesus, a church that exalts Jesus and is trying to call people's attention to him realizing how short our life really is on this earth and that our existence really is about being made for God and being with him forever. So um, as we get in, we're going to be in several different places. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, just one verse, a couple verses there, Mark chapter 1. But if you want to find a place to land, Psalm 127 is where I'm going to land the plane today so you can find your way there in your Bible. But as we begin, would you let me pray just for a moment here if you would pray with me. God, I'm grateful to be here this morning, uh, grateful to be alive, grateful to be with these folks here, brothers and sisters, and um, God, I ask that you would um, help, as has already been prayed, your word to fall fresh on our hearts this morning, especially as we talk about rest, an important subject and balance in our life, and I pray that uh, the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, the Holy Spirit would be present and working on our hearts to bring insight and to bring not just insight and information, God, but to bring conviction and to put your finger on the places in our lives where maybe we need to tweak some things, where we need to change some things. We need to change our thinking about who you are and about the way that we live our lives so that, God, it's not just receiving of information, but there would actually be some work of transformation happening in our hearts this morning, not because I'm clever, not because I have anything really to offer, but because you speak the words of life to us through your living word. Would you pierce our hearts and lay them bare before you? Would you give us ears to hear? May our hearts be uh, fertile soil for your word um, to be planted in and to bear fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So Jake asked me to speak the second message in this three-week balance series that you guys are in. He started last week in talking about balance with our time. And so if you missed that message, you need to go back and listen to it. So this feels like, to me, part two of Jake's message, because I'm talking about balance and rest. And, and so much of what I'm going to say and what's here in the scripture really is bound up our idea of rest and how we receive God's rest really is bound up with the way that we use the, the limited time that God has given us. We don't get any more than 24 hours a day. And so we need to think critically and carefully about how we spend our time and, and thinking about that through the lens of also resting and what God seeks to do in our hearts and, 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 and refreshment for our bodies. And so if you missed that message, go back and listen to it. And I hope that this will be complimentary Uh, to it. One of the things that Jake said last week that I thought was just dead on and so right is that this area that we live in is very fast paced. And maybe you grew up here and you don't realize because maybe you've never lived anywhere to realize anywhere else to realize that this is a much faster paced area. I grew up all over the place. My dad was in the Air Force. I spent most of my adult life before moving up here in Salem, Oregon, which is not a small town, but definitely not as busy, not as much concrete asphalt and pavement and and cars and traffic and stuff as, as up here. My wife is from 
a small town called Kalispell in northwest Montana, and we were there uh, last summer. And I remember she said, hey, we need to run an errand across town. So what I do whenever I go anywhere here, like I live near 405, but even if I'm just going down a couple exits, I look at the traffic because if there's an accident, you know what that means. You're going to be like bumper to bumper. And so sometimes I'll get onto the on-ramp and like, dang it, you know, I didn't check, the, check Google because th- there's just a line of cars. And of course, unfortunately, I'm more concerned about my time than the person who could be injured in the car accident down the road, which is an unfortunate revelation of the darkness of my heart. Sorry, just confessing. Um, <laughs> So she says, yeah, we got to run an errand across town. So I just naturally pull up the maps. I'm like, six minutes? We can get across town in six minutes? It's amazing to live in a smaller town where, where things are slower. And if you like, have like two, three errands to run, you might as well expect to spend like an hour in your car, right, in, in, in this area. So, I mean, if you think about the, the way of life here, let's say in, in your case, you work 40 to 50 hours a week. Uh, and that's not even including your commute. Let's say you serve in ministry here, which I hope you do. Every believer is gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve the body of Christ, to build it up for the glory of Christ and for the good of God's people. So let's hope that, you know, let's say that you're giving yourself to serving in this church with, in whatever way. It doesn't have to be a Sunday morning thing. It could, be, it could be anything else that you just enjoy doing, that you give your time and energy to serve Christ in his church. Now, if you're like me and you have young kids, then you probably have a lot of sports activities, a lot of school things that you're going to. So I am just praising the Lord that soccer season is over and that games are now, my oldest is playing basketball and we're inside. You know how amazing that is if you've just been outside. So my wife and I, we have three young girls and they were all in soccer. So Saturday mornings, we're kind of like looking at our schedule and who's going to this field and what time and breaking that all up and then soccer season ended. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, for gyms, for, for insights. So, our life is very busy. Maybe your life is too if you have kids. Or maybe if you don't have kids, maybe you're in that stage of life where your parents are getting older and you visit them and maybe you take care of them. I have some friends who have parents that are aging and they spend a lot of energy, especially in the evenings after work going over, taking meals to their parents. And it can be a very exhausting, time-consuming kind of thing. Maybe, you know, you begin to shut it down around nine o'clock and you just feel like you need to, to unplug. And maybe the way that you do that is you, you know, you watch TV or, you know, you get, you do like shopping for some people, like my wife, it's like therapeutic somehow to get on Amazon and, and to go shopping. And it's like, that's the last thing I want to do with my life is, is online shopping. And so, so that the hour, the hours are going by in the evening and then you're like, oh, I should probably get to bed because six, I get up at six or whatever time you get up to go to work. Maybe you commute into downtown Seattle. So it's 5.30 or it's six. And so you're thinking, okay, I've got to get to bed earlier. But then you wind up in bed and, and you're like watching Netflix or maybe you're scrolling your social media feeds. And then, and then the next morning, you're like, like for me, I'm always like, oh my gosh, I need to go to bed earlier. Why am I such an idiot? And so I have this like dual personality, like where morning Tom hates evening Tom and evening Tom hates morning Tom. Like that loser wants to get up so early. And then morning Tom's like, that loser stays up so late. And so I feel conflicted. So maybe, so you do this, you know, you go to bed too late, you get up too early. Now think about your grind, you know, daily grinds. Like if you do this, Whatever your schedule is like, you do this you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And if you keep that pace and you don't work in time for rest and things that rejuvenate your body and your soul, then is it any wonder that you feel overtired, overworked, sleep deprived, and anxious in the middle of all this just frenetic activity that is your life? Do you ever feel like you've been run ragged? Do you ever think to yourself, how am I supposed to do everything today that I know that I need to get done? I mean, that's kind of a daily experience for me. 
And yet you look at your, your, your schedule and you go, I only have X number of hours this day. Lord, how am I going to do this? You don't necessarily feel like you have the physical energy for it. And maybe you don't feel like you have the emotional energy for it. Because it's not just physical strength. You can kind of go mind over matter to, to an extent, to a point. But what about the emotional stability? Sometimes I just feel so weak and so frail and like anxious about things that I need some kind of strength that I, I just wonder, how am I going to get through this day with the energy that I need? And if you're a follower of Jesus... You have to ask the question, how does God factor into this? How am I supposed to organize my life and my time and my energy and my rest around the things that God has called me to do and and what resources God offers to me to bring me through my day? That's how we have to think through this issue. And so let me just give you the message on rest and and up front in a very short, hopefully easily memorized statement. So it's this, it's receive rest as God's gift. That's the heart of the message. Receive rest as God's gift. Now we're going to talk about the fact that we're called to rest, but I also want you to get the idea of receiving in your mind. So rest is something you have to do. There is an activity. You are an active participant in what God calls you to do. But in a sense, as we're going to see, it is something to be received as a gift. So we need to unpack this, at least this first part in, in, in two parts. So we'll do receive rest and then as God's gift, second part. So main part, first one. Part one is receive rest. And I think we need to think of resting in at least two categories. Number one, receive rest for your body. That is your physical nature. Realizing you have natural human limitations. So receive rest for your body. So let me read to you a passage from Mark's gospel. Mark chapter six, verses 30 and 31. So the the disciples are doing ministry and it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So these apostles, these disciples, they're pouring themselves out in ministry. They're meeting the practical needs. I mean, you've got demon-possessed people. You have paralyzed people. You have really sick people. You have blind people. And they're just pouring themselves out with Jesus in ministry. They're working really hard so that they don't even have a chance to eat. Have you ever been working so intently, especially, I think, of, of, of parents, especially moms, if you've got your kids with you, um, and you just, you, you'll skip your own meals to the own detriment of your health. You'll, I mean, just last week, I was, I was working, and I was, you know, preparing to rebuke you all in love and tell you that you need to take a rest and not skip food and things like that, and I didn't, I didn't eat that day because I was working on this, so I'm, in, I'm rebuking myself. We need to, we need to spend time or f- figure out ways to, to take care of ourselves. And so I think that this is what Jesus is getting at, his disciples. He actually commands them uh, to get rest. So do you take time out of your day to replenish uh, your body? Now, here's where we have to, this is where we encounter the idea of balance, so we're in this balance series, because Jesus, in his wisdom and in his care for his disciples, he calls them to rest. But a call to rest implies what? It implies taking a break from something, which is working hard. So the call of Jesus is not, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and sit on a, on a couch, and I'll give you a bag of Doritos. It's, it's, there's, there's hard work that is happening. So listen to Colossians 3. It's just kind of this blanket statement, a vision for our lives and how we do our work. It says, whatever you do, so in your profession or in ministry, whether it's with the kids, with aging parents, it's with your neighbors, whatever, PTA, whatever it is, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for people. So when you go to work tomorrow, you're not working for your supervisor. You're not working for the vice president of your division. 
you are working ultimately for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're doing it for his glory and for his pleasure and not for the gain of your own self-promotion and not for, for other people to look at you and go, wow, you are so amazing. I'm so glad to have you on my team. Ultimately, you are working really hard by the grace that God gives you for the glory of God. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So we're called to work really hard to pour out our energy and our lives for Christ and for his glory. But we don't do any of this hard work relentlessly. God did not call us to be energizer bunnies that are going and going and going and going. I mean, you can go mind over matter for a while, but eventually you will hit the wall and you will end up burned out. Your adrenal glands will be fried if you just live on stress and, and, and cortisol and adrenaline, all those things. I mean, health studies have shown that you can ruin, your, you can ruin yourself this way. So we're not called to, to just keep going, 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 but Jesus actually says in verse 31, get some rest. It is a command. It's in the imperative mood in the Greek, which means he is commanding them, get some rest. And the verbs, the, 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 the idea that's implied in the verb is that resting means to take a break from one's activities in order to be refreshed or revived so that ultimately you can be more effective in what you're doing. And, and, and this idea of, of intentionally organizing your time, so that's how it relates to last week, organizing your time so that, uh, that you're replenished. Now, this is a, a good word for a lot of us. I think it's a good word for me. I was thinking back, my, I was an idiot in college and I just did not plan my time well and I procrastinated about a lot of my studies because, I, frankly, I wasn't interested in a lot of the subjects that I was studying and so I frequently pulled all-nighters and when you're young and like 20 years old, you can do that, you know, and I would regularly go, you know, 20, over 24 hours without sleep um, but that was about the most that I would do. And then by my senior year, I remember I definitely didn't plan my time well and I had uh, a take-home final exam for biology, which is always harder when it's open note and open book. They don't make it easy, right? And so um, I'm working all that evening. So I think what it was is I woke up at like 6 a.m. on a Tuesday morning and I didn't go to sleep until 12 noon on Thursday. So I went 54 hours without any sleep. So the first night I'm, it's so dumb. First night I'm, I'm up working on this thing and the second project the next day, then I turned in that exam. I had this art exam, I'm horrible at art, but I had to give some kind of presentation. I'm already on no sleep. And I told the girl that I had to do this project, but we had to do this presentation. Um, I stayed up all night working on this thing. And I was like to the point where you can like go insane. Like I was like typing up this thing and I thought I had saw like movement out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, what? You know, like literally I was like, what is that? Oh, I think I just need to go to sleep, but I, I was so out of it. And so before I gave this presentation to our class, I said to my partner, to her chagrin, I said, hey, I'm really sorry, but I haven't slept for like literally two days and my mind is just totally like wigged out. So just hope and pray that it works out when I get up. And so I get up and I gave this presentation and I came back to my seat and I, I was not kidding. I said, I have no idea what I just said. It, did any of it make sense? And she said, oh yeah, it was totally fine. Like made sense. I said, okay, good. Because I had literally had no recollection of anything that I said. I mean, I could have been just talking gibberish. And so I left that, uh, I left that presentation. I went back to my room and I had four hours to take a nap basically before I had this like senior graduation function. And so I slept from noon to four and I didn't know how I was going to feel when I woke up. And I'll tell you, just four hours of sleep, I woke up and I was sane again, which was amazing, which shows you the restorative power of sleep, not just for your body, but for your mind, and that's all attached and wired up with your emotions and all those things. So sleep really is a gift that God gives to us. Do you make it a priority to get enough sleep? Now, if you're lazy, you shouldn't ask yourself this question. Maybe you sleep too much. But if you're, if you're prone to overwork, if you're prone to not sleep enough, do you give adequate time to that? I bet I can guess why many of us don't get enough sleep. Social media and catching up on Netflix series. Probably, 
right? You say, I'm gonna go to bed earlier tonight and then somehow you're on your screen way longer than you intended. It's interesting, Newsweek reported that historians believe that before the advent, before the invention of the, the light bulb, people got plenty of sleep because our rhythms were more in tune with the, with the cycles of sunlight and, and, you know, and, and, and of nighttime. Do you ever notice that when you go camping, it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm ready to go to bed. It's like 6.30, what? You know, and then, and then you start, and the sun comes up and you start waking up and so your body's more. So with, with the advent of electricity, we actually are more sleep deprived uh, than we should be. We shouldn't be sleep deprived, we should get enough sleep. Add to that the problem that lack of sleep is even more of a problem today because of these things. Right? So studies have shown that the blue light that's emitted from laptops and tablets and, and computer screens actually suppress your body's production of melatonin, which is a natural hormone that helps regulate your, your sleep and wake cycles. And so you find it harder to fall asleep because of the blue light. And so we find ourselves more tired, more sleep deprived. But the problem is not inherently in social media or Netflix. It doesn't reside in the things. It resides in what's here and what our hearts actually desire. So like Jake talked about last week, it's our impulse to give ourselves over to distractions, things in life that are of less value than the most important things. So this is not a condemnation of social media, it's not a condemnation of Netflix, but what it is is it's pointing the arrow to our hearts that say, I'm so prone to give myself to these things that are really uh, not the best use of my time, especially in light of the brevity. The Bible says your life is a vapor. You're here one day and you disappear. And in light of that reality and in light of eternity, we only have so many hours a day. So one of the questions that I'm asking myself, I think Jake has gotten some clarity on and I have, not that I've mastered it by any means, but I have deeper conviction that's growing about I only have so much time on earth. I've looked at brain scans where this cancerous tumor has been that by God's grace is now gone. And I go, I only, I only have so much time. How am I gonna use my time? So again, this relates to, to last week. Now this is, so this is interesting. This is what uh, the, the Newsweek article said. It said, research shows that every time we check our email, Twitter feed, or Facebook timeline and find a new piece of information, we get a shot of dopamine, a chemical our brains release to stimulate pleasure. So that's why we, we check our phones because there's a, something about that little red notification, that little like on your Instagram or whatever it is. It feels good to us. We don't know why we keep going back, but our bodies form habits. We can form habits. So what I'm trying to do is retrain even my body. So I dare you the next time you're at a stoplight, don't look at your phone. I mean, how many times do you honk at someone and they go like, oh, or how many times has that been you? That's me too sometimes. I dare you to use the toilet, sit down and not look at your phone. I dare you. (laughs) See if you can do it this week. Because we live in this near constant state of stimulation where we're just filling our minds. If we are continually filling our minds with, with social media or entertainment, how much room does your mind and your soul have to reflect on who God is and on what he's done in your life? How much time do you have, do I have to think about my kids and what kind of husband I want to be and what kind of father I want to be if I'm continually doing this every spare moment of the day? I'm in line at the grocery store, this. I'm sitting at the traffic light, I'm this. I'm on the toilet, I'm this. I have zero time to think about what kind of dad I want to be. I have zero time to pray about those things if I live in this constant state of information stimulation. I have a whole lot of knowledge coming at us, not a lot of wisdom. So how we use our time cultivates wisdom. And so, so these things are, are, are running together. And as we live in this kind of society where we're enslaved to our electronics, enslaved to the incessant information, is it any wonder that we feel run ragged? Is it any wonder uh, 
that our souls are tired and that our bodies are tired. Thank you for that living illustration. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. I love just so you know, it's really bright up here and I can't see who did that, so I have no, I have no judgment anyway. Even if I did see you, I wouldn't, I'm, just, I'm used to it, so don't worry about that. What can we learn? This is the kind of life we live. What can we learn about the importance of rest from the life of Jesus in the Gospels? I think there are some beautiful little vignettes that God in his wisdom has, has put in the Bible for us so that we can follow the way of Jesus. As I tell my kids and as I pray with my kids, Following Jesus is not just a, a set of information and doctrine. I believe very strongly that, that we have to have good doctrine, that we understand core convictions and beliefs, theology that comes from the Bible. But it's not simply, here's a list of things Christians believe. Let's believe these things. If you can say, I agree to those things, you are a good Christian. That's not the way that it works because even the devil believes that there is one God. And he shudders, even the demons believe. The devil knows as much about Jesus, not more than you do, but he doesn't submit to him. There's no wisdom in him because he lives for himself, not for the Lord. And so we have this picture of Jesus, a way of Jesus, not just information, but, but an insight into the kind of life that he lived. Now, many of you are familiar with John chapter four, the story where Jesus is traveling from, uh, through Samaria, up from Judea, up through Samaria to go to Galilee. And he's, he's tired and he stops at a well. It says this in John 4. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And then if you know the story, he asks a Samaritan woman for a drink. He's speaking of his physical thirst, and he turns the direction to spiritual thirst and how God is our ultimate satisfaction. But we should not miss the fact that Jesus has said, wearied as he was, wearied there, the word means he's exhausted. He's traveling at, at noon in, in, in the noonday sun, and he's thirsty, and it says that he's tired. Now, what I find fascinating is that Jesus never presents himself as we often do in, in our worlds. Like, you know, the, the busier we are, the more significant we feel, the stronger we feel. And here he is just in his humanity asking for a drink of water. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to show these people. I'm the savior of the world. And if anyone can press on and be tough, it's me. I'm doing tough mutter next. I want the electric ropes dangling down and shocking me. And I'm going to post it so everyone sees how great I am. He doesn't live a life of bravado where he's like the strong man. You see, I'm saying that there's, that there's humility in him. There's humility in him. We don't want to admit that we're weak, independent. We would rather be perceived as independent and strong. And yet here is Jesus. This is amazing. He is God in essence. From all eternity past, he has been in very nature God. One with the Father and one with the Holy Spirit. And he temporarily for a time lays aside his glory as God in heaven and the invincibility as God in heaven so that he can come to earth for our salvation, to die on a cross, to forgive us of our sins, to rise from the dead and to offer new life to those who would come to him in faith. And in taking on humanity, you know what he brings upon himself? He's not invincible anymore. He understands what it is to be thirsty. He understands what it is to be hungry. He understands what it is to feel weak for the first time ever in his life. And he knows what it is to be exhausted. He knows that his body needs rest. And so this is an amazing picture, something that we can learn from Jesus. And we also have this really illuminating story of him sleeping. I love this story. It's, it's, it's strange and it's fascinating. It says this about Jesus and his disciples. They're on a boat on, on the Sea of Galilee. It says this in Mark 4. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. 
So he's asleep on a boat during a storm. Waves are crashing into the boat. I assume he's getting wet. I wish I could sleep like that. I mean, there's some of you that can. I had a friend who somebody crashed into, their, into his bedroom, like literally crashed the car in the bedroom. He just, he slept through it. And unfortunately, he wasn't touched, but he, he slept through it. I mean, so what does this say? Jesus is asleep in a boat during a storm. What does this say about Jesus? A couple of insights. First one, very obvious. He was very tired. He was very tired. And this is where the balance comes in again, right? Because he's working super hard. He's ministering to people. He's pouring out his life. He's the least selfish person that's ever walked the planet. He's pouring himself out, loving people, serving people. He's exhausted. And he sleeps on a boat. So not only is he tired, but secondly, he's trusting. That it takes trust for him to close his eyes and he's trusting his father to take care of him and to take care of the rest of the world while he sleeps. I don't know how the division of of him as son of God and and God as God the father works in terms of ruling the cosmos. I don't know how that works, but I do know that Jesus went to sleep and it takes some trust on his part to close his eyes and, and go to sleep. How tired do you have to be to sleep through a storm? How trusting do you have to be that you can sleep well during a storm in your life? If you can sleep, if there's a major storm in your life, a trial, and you can sleep well, then count your blessings. That is a gift from God. And it says something about your trust that God has cultivated in your heart uh, toward him. So in Jesus' life and ministry, it is a priority for him to rest, both for himself and for his apostles. We see him calling his apostles to rest. We see himself sleeping. Now, if the Savior of the world can take a break from doing all the work that he was doing, which is arguably fairly important, right? Right? like Jesus' ministry, kind of important stuff. And if he's willing to take a break and sleep, shouldn't we rest as well? Is our work any more important than his? Our work is important, but it's a part of his work. So I have to have this imagined conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, Tom, you need to rest. I say, not now, Jesus. He says, why not? I say, well, because I've got really important ministry stuff to do. The devil doesn't sleep, so neither can I. He says, remember that time I took a nap? I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right, Jesus. You're always right. And he says, I know. So how can I say, I can't sleep, I can't take a break, I've got too much important stuff to do, as if the world's going to collapse if Tom takes a nap. The Son of God's taking a nap on a boat. And the ministry continues by the grace of God. So how could Jesus do his work? How could the disciples be effective in their calling in life if they were totally fried? How can you as a husband, as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a co-worker, as a boss, as a roommate, as a friend, as a daughter, as an aunt, as a sister-in-law, whatever it may be, how can you be effective in what God has called you to do in those various roles of your life if you're completely fried and you're completely exhausted? So God calls us to rest our bodies. That's part one of, resting, uh, of, of receiving rest. The second part is receiving rest uh, for your spirit or your heart. So that's the second part. So rest your body, receive rest for your body, receive rest for your spirit or your heart. Now when I say spirit or heart, I'm talking about that immaterial part of us. So we are a body-soul unity. And so if you think, well, I can just power through and I can just do it, then what you're forgetting is you are not just a a, a meat machine. You have a spirit, a soul inside of you that is dependent on this machine, the, the, the body. And you can't just go and go and go. And there is an interaction between the two And there is a refreshment and a a reviving that needs to happen in our spirits and in our hearts if our bodies are even going to be. Because you could be totally rested. You could be like sleeping 14 hours a night. Maybe you're super lazy. You're like, oh man, I'm not tired at all because I just slept for 14 hours. What about your heart? 
Is your heart a wreck? Are your emotions a wreck? Do you seek rest and refreshment for your spirit? And again, the insight from the gospel is beautiful about the life of Jesus is that he not only prioritized getting rest for his body, but also a refreshment for his heart or for his spirit. We see this pattern in the life of Jesus. And let me read to you from Mark chapter one, verse 35. It says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. You can read that in Luke 5 too. There's this pattern where Jesus withdraws. Now the guy, Jesus had important work to do and there's just, like I said, there's lepers and there's paralyzed people and there's demonized people. There's just a mass, a sea of need around him. In, the early, in, in these early chapters in the Gospels, Jesus gets up early. He forsakes, he forgoes sleep so that he can go refresh his heart. So, so don't just make it like, well, you just need to get a certain amount of sleep and you just need to get a certain amount of prayer time, whatever it is. But wisdom calls for, there are times to sacrifice sleep. I picked on, on my friend uh, Garrett here earlier. Uh, his wife is having a baby on Thursday. That's what we do these days. We just, you just schedule it. I'm gonna have a baby on Thursday. I don't know how they do it, but it's amazing. So I hope you get some rest this week. That's why I tell, you know, well, you've had, you have two kids already, so you already know this. Like, it, you're gonna be tired. Your baby's gonna wake up in the middle of the night. You're gonna... You're going to wonder how you're going to make it through. And you need to, at times, sacrifice sleep for certain reasons. And here Jesus is sacrificing sleep. He gets up and he leaves this perpetual need behind so that he can go be with his father, so that he can go revive his heart and refresh his heart in prayer. Now, I've never been a morning person. I hate waking up early in the morning. If you didn't catch that earlier, I think I said something. But, um, But I've developed a habit of waking up early in the morning to just go spend time with God. And I don't say this in any way to pat myself on spiritual, you know, spiritually on the back or anything, but just to say I have found something that has worked for me and it's become easier as I've done it because I'm pretty much like a corpse when I wake up in the morning. That's how I feel. Like my heart feels dead sometimes, but I just need it. It's not a religious obligation for me to go meet with God in the morning. It's not a religious duty. It is a lifeline to me. As I want to go meet with God in the darkness, in the quiet, because as soon as my kids get up, the quiet time is just shot. It's just gone. It's just over. So it's, it's become a lifeline for me to spend time with God in prayer and as I go to in time in his word. Do you have a hard time praying consistently? Most people do. If you, you, you say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, like, see what happens, see what kind of interruptions come because the enemy of our souls does not want us praying because he knows that that's where there's power to meet with God and, and the, the, that the prayer of a righteous person is, is effective and it's working. And so you will experience all kinds of distractions, all kinds of things to, to take your attention away. I'll look for almost anything to do other than to actually get there to my place of prayer. Now, you gotta figure out what works for you. I see in the life of Jesus that sometimes he just gets up early. Now, lest we think like it's more spiritual to get up early, there are also a couple of other instances in the Gospels where he's up awake all night on a mountainside praying. So you got the morning person option, you got the night person option. What was Jesus? He appeared to operate kind of in both depending on what the situation called for, depending on what the need was in his time of life and ministry at that time. And so we can get up early in the morning if that works for us, but just figure out what works for you. What works for me may not be what works for you. So for me, if I sit in a chair and I close my eyes and I try to pray, I will fall asleep 
or my mind will wander off to something else. So what I found works for me is I just, I get a quiet room by myself and I just walk around. I just walk and I talk and I need both hands to talk to the Lord. First service, I had to hold a microphone. I had a hard time preaching because I had to hold a microphone because this thing wasn't working. But I, I talk to the Lord. My eyes are open. Every time Jesus prays in the Bible, it says he lifted his eyes and he, so there's biblical precedent for praying with your eyes open. Although I tell my kids to close their eyes because they're all looking at each other and doing stuff. So I'm like, no, you close your eyes. You close your eyes. You close your eyes. So it just helps our minds stay on track. So figure out what works for you and make an appointment with God. Make an appointment with God. If you schedule it, you're more likely to do it. And if you think God is a real person who's inviting me to meet with him, just as you would meet with a friend at Starbucks over coffee, think of God that way. Yeah, he's invisible. Sometimes he feels far and remote, but don't forget that he is real and that he has a time and a place to meet with you. And he's given you some freedom to go, I'm gonna meet with God. And see if your heart isn't refreshed and strengthened and if you don't have more renewal in your heart to face the day. I mean, that's for me why I seek it because I wake up and I feel so frail sometimes. I don't even know, especially in the dark, it's a lot harder to wake up in the wintertime. And I'm like, okay, he's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a a spirit of power and love and self-control and sound mind so I can face the day and I find myself strengthened. And to me, that's just as important as as the physical sleep that I've got. Now I try to keep those two together in balance But not only does this prayer time revive your heart and refresh you and provide rest for the things that you need, but there's also the word of God piece. And more could be said about the body of Christ and how God speaks into us and fills us up. But no less can be said than prayer and the Bible. Listen to Psalm 19, 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you ever feel like you need that reviving of soul? So the law of the Lord or the instruction of the Lord is perfect. It has, through the Holy Spirit's power, the power to revive your heart, to actually strengthen you, that in some way actually feels like it's physical strength that comes to me. I don't feel so physically weak anymore. It's like the Lord has given me more than I, just, than I had when I woke up. The word of God is food to our soul. So Jesus is facing temptation. How many temptations do you face during the day to not trust in the Lord? Countless, Right? And Jesus is in his wilderness period and, and Satan is tempting him and he attempts him to deviate from God's path of obedience that he has for him to go to the cross and he offers him bread as he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and how does Jesus answer? He says, people don't live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's referring to the written word of God. He's referring in his context to the Hebrew Bible, to the scriptures. And so there is a food, there is a sustenance that is as necessary, if not more necessary for you than physical food, which is the food that the Lord gives you through his word. We carve out time in our day to to eat, do we not? So then I'm growing a conviction of how much more then, if we carve out time to eat physical food, should we carve out time in our day? This is a gift to have this. There's so many believers down through the centuries that did not, there are people on earth today who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ who do not have access to the written word of God. And we have these like laying around all over the place. And there is a gift to be unearthed in the word of God that will strengthen you. And I wonder how much of us would feel a lot more stable emotionally and in our spirits and hearts if we would avail ourselves of the food that's here. 
Like, I don't know about you, but for me, like, I've learned I have to eat some protein in the morning or else I'm going to feel shaky and weird because I drink coffee and, and I used to, like, just eat a bowl of cereal. And, like, 45 minutes later, I'm starving and I feel really weak and shaking. So I've gotten a little bit better, but not great. So as I mentioned, our kids were in soccer. And so one morning, my wife Lindsay and I were trying to figure out, okay, who's going where, what time are the games? And I wasn't really thinking, I wasn't really planning well around my energy level and my strength and what I was going to eat. And so I had, like, a, a cup of coffee and we had gone to Costco the day before I love cheese and so in, in the fridge is like you know a little container of Beecher's cheese curds and so I'm like grab a handful of cheese curds drink a couple of mugs of coffee and then we drive off to the game and uh and have a referee there so they asked if any parents would be willing to volunteer so I'm like okay I've refed games before so I'll ref so I'm running up and down the field you know 10 minutes go by and then I start getting like really kind of shaky my stomach feels weird I'm like why do I feel so horrible oh I drank coffee and I ate Beecher's cheese curds for breakfast not super helpful. So we have to think about how much of our mental and emotional wobbliness in life comes from the fact that we're not feeding our souls what they need to be strengthened for the day. We shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Will you take God up on his invitation this week to get alone time with him? Not as a religious obligation, not because this is what good Christians are supposed to do, but because your loving father is inviting you to spend time with him, to meet with him. Will you do that this week and receive rest for your soul? So that's the first part of the big idea is to receive rest for both body and for spirit and heart. And the second part is as a gift, to receive it as God's gift to you. Now this is where we get to Psalm 127. I I feel like this is so appropriate for us especially in this fast-paced culture where people work a lot of hours and jobs are very demanding and sometimes we can begin to think like, ooh, Microsoft is going to crumble if I don't get my project done. What's going to happen to Amazon if I don't don't complete this? It's going to go on without you. You're important, but you're not indispensable. We are all replaceable. This is what uh, Psalm 127.2 says. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Let me read it again. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. So you're working too hard, you're burning the candle at both ends, and, you're eat- and the result is that you're eating, what you earn is just anxious, you're eating the bread of your anxious toil. When in contrast, God gives sleep to his beloved. So what is happening with the people here who are, who are working too hard? Originally I was going to say workaholism, but then I figured most of us would just go, I'm not a workaholic, I'm not a workaholic, so I'm just going to say working too hard, working too much, so that we're Many of us are probably in this category. So there's working too hard because you're burning the candle at both ends and it's, they're working too hard. Why? Because they're driven by anxiety. They're working so hard, too many hours because they're driven by anxiety. And what is this anxiety caused by? Well, there's a couple of primary insecurities I think that we face and, and, the, and one is provision and another is an issue of perception. So when it comes to provision, yes, God has called us to work hard. He's called us to provide for our, for our loved ones, for our families, for our kids. He calls us to provide. But in the end, if we have anxiety about provision, what's happening is uh, you or I am believing that ultimately my well-being, your well-being rests upon our own efforts, not upon God who runs the universe and who feeds the sparrows and who clothes the lilies of the field so that they have more splendor than Solomon and all his pomp and in all his glory. We think, yeah, I know God feeds the sparrows and I know God clothes the, the, the fields with beautiful lilies, but me, I got to take care of me. 
I got to provide for me. And so this anxiety just to keep working and making more money because I don't trust God to give me ultimately what I need. So that's the anxiety about provision. Then there's this anxiety about perception. So for many of us, we're driven to work really hard because we're concerned about how people perceive us because we want to climb the ladder, we want the promotion, we want, to people, we want people to think we're significant because if we're not really busy, then we're not really significant. We're not really doing something good with our lives and so we want people to be, and through that worldly success, we're, we're gonna be significant. And so this is driving the anxiety that drives this overworking which prevents us from the rest that God is wanting to give us and for you to receive. And so as I think through this issue, as you think that, would you think through how the gospel of Jesus Christ applies and is the solution to your situation for anxious toil or not receiving rest? So if you belong to Jesus Christ through your trust in who he is and his death upon the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you don't have to pay the penalty so you can be forgiven and reconciled to God and you believe that Jesus Christ raised him from the dead to make you right with God, to receive that life with him. If you believe that gospel, if you give yourself to this Jesus and this good news, then this is the solution to your anxiety-driven work. How so? Well, when it comes to perception, the gospel is the solution to your anxiety over perception. How so? Because you don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You are not approved of by God because you work so hard, because you pray so hard, because you read your Bible so hard, because you serve at the church so hard, none of these things are the basis of your justification being made right or your acceptance with God. It's what Jesus has done for you. So then it carry it over to uh, uh, the workplace or the family life. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You don't have to prove yourself to any other moms out there or any other ways that families are doing their thing. You don't have to prove yourself to your boss. You work hard as unto the Lord, right? As we already talked about. As unto the Lord, not for his approval or her approval. God has already covered you. God has already loved you, accepted you, brought you into his family. That's the solution for the perception anxiety. What about the provision anxiety? Well, we already know this, and Jake quoted this from Matthew 6 uh, last week. Seek first, as a first priority, the kingdom of God and its righteousness and everything you need, God will give you. So in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has adopted you, you who are far off, you who are a stranger, far from God, estranged from God because of your sins, and he has brought you near by the blood of Christ and made peace between you and God. So now you belong to him, and as a good father, he will provide for you. Not necessarily everything that you want, but everything that you need to carry out God's will in this life and carry out your purpose in the short years that God has given you on the face of this planet, he will give you. And if you understand the gospel, then you know that I don't have to freak out. The universe is not going to collapse and shut down because I took a nap or I got eight hours of sleep instead of five. And as a result, you will be a, a more effective, whatever your role is, husband, father, wife, employee, boss, coworker, because you know that God is going to take care of you. You've been rested. You're paying attention to your body. You're paying attention to your heart. All the things that you need God has given you and it takes away the anxiety. So that's how the gospel speaks into our lives. And so what we can do is we can go, you can go to bed tonight and you can put your head down on your pillow and you can shut your eyes as an act of trust. Because you say, I'm trusting you, God. I'm gonna close my eyes and I'm gonna sleep because you're sovereign over the universe. You're in control. You're God. You're my father. I don't need to worry. Life will carry on You've given me important work to do. Strengthen me tomorrow morning. Strengthen me tomorrow to do the work that you've called me to do. And let me just rejoice in the fact that God's given me something to do. And you can go to sleep as an act of trust. Trust in him. And so this is a, a verse that I love. I'll close with this. Psalm 4, 8. 
In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. In peace. Do you want to sleep in peace? Then recall who God is and put your head down and just go, the Lord is the one who oversees my life. And make it a priority to not just keep going, going, and going, but receive rest as God's good gift to you that comes through Jesus. Let me close in prayer.